Hi, I'm Josh Van Burkle. Welcome to the Activate Christchurch podcast. It's our privilege to share it with you. I hope you enjoy it. And if you ever find yourself in Christchurch, pop in and say hello. We'd love to see you. couple of things that God was talking to me about during the week and and I was like I was wrestling I was like God is this something that you want me to talk about in church or is this just for me or is this not even you at all this is just me thinking about stuff and because if it is you and it is something you want me to talk about in church it's it's very it's quite heavy God it, it borders on almost a little bit of a rebuke And how many people believe that Jesus loved Peter? Like he loved Peter. You look at the interactions that Jesus and Peter had. I think Jesus loved Peter. And at the end of it all, Jesus, you know, trusted Peter with the birth of the church and to run the church. But the Bible says at one point, Peter makes a comment and Jesus turns around. The Bible says Jesus rebuked Peter. So we have precedent of Jesus rebuking people that he loves. And he does it because he's trying to encourage and elevate and grow their relationship with him. In other places in the Bible, it says that, you know, uh, that he, the father disciplines those he loves like a son. And, and one of the ways that we can tell that we are sons and daughters of God is that he loves us enough to reach out and say, hey, we need a bit of a course correct here. And it's always because he's trying to correct us towards him. He's trying to close the gap between us and him. He's trying to deepen our relationship with him. Any discipline that we receive from God, any rebuke we receive from God is him saying, I want more of you. And this is what he said to me uh, during the week. I was talking with Steve McCracken when he was here, and Steve McCracken made this comment. This is a prophetic guy that we had in the church a couple of weeks ago. He was in his church back in Melbourne, and he was due to get up and kind of lead the service a little bit like I am now. And he felt like God said, hey, when you get up, here's sort of what I want you to do. And so Steve did what a lot of us do when we know we are about to get up. He started to, in his mind, kind of just think about, well, how am I going to communicate that? Sort of thinking, I'll get up and I'll say this and I'll say that. And so in his mind, he said, when I get up, I'll say, hey, God's inviting us into X, Y, Z. And as soon as he said it, God said to him, don't say I am inviting you into this. I am instructing you to enter into this. He said, stop watering down my instructions and calling them invitations. And then we just carried on with the conversation, but man, it got to me because that's language that I use a lot of the time. It's just a little bit less bossy from the front. You know, hey, God's inviting. I feel like there's an invitation here, this, or an invitation there. But this is what God said to me during the week. He said, there are people in this place, I am probably one of them. Usually, in fact, I don't think God's ever said there's people in this place and it hasn't applied to me. It's kind of lame. He said, and you are watering down my instructions to an invitation because 
If you say no to an invitation, you are just declining something. If you say no to an instruction, then you are disobeying. And you see, there are people, Christians all around the place that are not comfortable with admitting to themselves that they are living in disobedience. And so they water down my instruction to an invitation that they can say no to and then say, well, I'm not living in disobedience. I've just declined a particular invitation from God. Does that make sense? And so what I felt that God was saying is to just like be honest with yourself. Just be honest with yourself. I need to be honest with myself. There are, there are things that God has said to me, hey, you should do this, you should do that. And if I'm honest, I've probably put it into like, hey, God suggested that. That was a good idea that God had. I should do that at some point. That was a good suggestion, God. Oh, that's a nice invitation. Yeah, I might take you up on that at some point. And God's going, these are not suggestions, Joshua. They're not like good ideas that I'm just sort of throwing at you for you to decide what you pick up and put you down. I'm telling you to do this. And if you're not doing it, you are living in disobedience. How many people here, don't have to show your hands, but how many people here, you're like, I know that God has said, do this, do that, stop doing that, stop doing that. And I've just kind of parked it as like, hey, that's a good thought. I might get to that at some point. Here's, here's what God was saying to me, particularly yesterday. I believe, and I don't know if I've ever said this from the front, but I believe that we are on the cusp of the single greatest move of God that the world has ever seen. We are in what I would call the birthing stages. Anyone who's ever been around birth or had birth, you know what happens is you get this contraction and it lasts a very short amount of time and then it stops. And then there's just a long space. And then you get another contraction and maybe it's a little bit stronger and it lasts a little bit longer and then it stops. And then there's space. And this process goes on for quite a long time. And as it goes on and as it develops, the contractions get stronger and longer and the space in between gets shorter and shorter until eventually it all kind of collapses and collides and now the baby is on its way and you're delivering a baby. You guys understand that? What we are seeing around the world at the moment are birthing pains of the greatest move of God. The other day I was on Facebook wasting my life Another suggestion of God that I've ignored. Get off Facebook. And I'm like, God, I need Facebook for the business. And people message me and I'm just an idiot. And I'm I'm scrolling through Facebook, not doing business stuff. And uh, a post comes up about the Asprey Revival. Who's heard of the Asprey Revival? A few hands going up. I had some friends that were over there, some ministry acquaintances and they had taken some photos. They'd taken a little bit of a selfie. I'm not even sure if they were allowed to do that. And the, the post that they had said, uh, that they'd written, said, Revival, revival is here, revival. And I read about it. I was like, that's cool. 
And then I scrolled up and the very next post was some friends of mine, some ministry acquaintances that passed through a church in Melbourne. And the headline said, Revival, Revival is here. And there was a video of the pastor just doing a piece to camera walking down the road. And I, I clicked on it and I watched it. It was like a minute long. And he said, we started our church service on Sunday night. It's still running 60 hours later. We can't get people to leave. We're just rotating staff on, staff off. But it's just, for 60 hours now, this service has been running. He said, I've never in my entire life seen anything like it. I'm reading comments on the post from people saying, I feel like I wasn't even a Christian before I came to the service. Like that's how unique and different and exciting this atmosphere is. And I thought, wow, that's pretty cool. Two revival posts in a row. And then I scrolled up and then there was another, and I'm talking like no gaps in between, just bang, bang, bang. There's another post from someone who I don't know from a bar of soap and I don't know why I'm friends with them on Facebook. I think I went through a stage once where I just accepted every request that came in and it was some random person that I don't know. But anyway, there was photos of a whole bunch of hundreds, thousands of people in a river in the Philippines. And the post said, revival is breaking out in the Philippines. Thousands of people being baptized. Revival in the States, revival in Australia, revival in the Philippines. And this is the start of what God wants to do. Now, I don't know what it'll look like. I don't know how long this process will go on for. And and I I don't probably want to go into the full details with you because it's very personal. But I am, I am absolutely convinced based on a word that God gave me many years ago that we're going to see something extraordinary, unbelievable in my lifetime. My life, I'm 40 years old. So we're not talking in 100 years time. Maybe 50, I don't know. But it, it, at some point in my life, I, I believe at church with every, every fiber of my being. I, you will never, ever be able to convince me that that's not going to happen based on this word that God gave me. Maybe one day I'll share the context for it because if you understood the context and what was happening at the time, you'd be like, okay, that's, you can take that to the bank. I talked last Sunday about becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. Who was here last Sunday? Maybe not. Who was here last Sunday and paid attention? It's like a different different question altogether, right? And so we kind of, we got to this point where we define discipleship as, uh, you know, someone who actively imitates Jesus Christ until they become a living copy of Him. That's discipleship, actively imitating Jesus Christ until we become a living copy of Him. And I talked out of uh, Luke chapter 14, and I just want to go back there a little bit. You know, in the Hebrew language, they don't really have adverbs. Adverbs are words that we use to attach to verbs and adjectives to kind of assign extra meaning to them. So an example of an adverb would be the word really or the word very. So for example, If I said, I'm hungry, you know that I'm hungry. But if I say, I'm very hungry, now you know, well, he's he's got more hunger than I thought he had before. I've added a bigness to it. Or if I said, I am tired, 
Oh, poor Josh. If I said I'm really tired, okay, so that really is an adverb, right? They don't have that in the Jewish language. In the Jewish language, if they want to kind of make something bigger, then they repeat the word. So if in the if if a Jewish person says shalom, that means hey peace. But if I want to communicate to Chris a big piece, like a, a huge piece, an all-enveloping piece that, that impacts his entire life, I will say, shalom, shalom. I repeat the word because that then adds emphasis. And that's what I'm going to do this morning. I'm going to repeat a couple of things that I said last week because I actually think that what Holy Spirit wants to do is focus us in on it. And He wants us to recognize that there is a heaviness and a weightiness to what was shared last week that maybe we didn't pick up on. Does that make sense? Luke chapter 14. I'm just going to dial into the story real quick. Jesus is just walking along the road. If you read the context, he was hanging out with some Pharisees. He wasn't doing anything overly spectacular. He's left the Pharisees' house. He's on his way to his next appointment. He's moving from point A to point B. This is something that we see Jesus do every day of His ministry life. It's typical. It's normal. He does something here, and then He leaves, and He goes somewhere over here. It's an ordinary day in the life of Jesus, if I can use the word ordinary to describe any day in the life of Jesus. And the Bible says that crowds were following Him. This is also normal. This is also an everyday occurrence. Anytime Jesus went anywhere, crowds of people followed Him. You know, women with issues of blood would have to fight through the crowds to touch His garment to be healed. He'd turn up at a place and there's 5,000 people there wanting to be fed. There were crowds always following Jesus. This is nothing out of the ordinary. So Jesus is leaving point A to go to point B. Normal. Crowds of people are following Him. Normal. Every other instance in the Bible where crowds of people follow Jesus, we see Him respond with patience. We see Him respond with kindness. We see Him respond with compassion. We see Him respond with love. Even when the disciples get frustrated and grumpy, like, oh, there's people everywhere. Jesus is like, hey, chill out. I have compassion on them. They are sheep without a shepherd. Jesus is always patient with the crowds, but not in Luke chapter 14. Something triggers Jesus, and we don't know what it is. Because nobody says anything, nobody does anything. As far as everybody in the area is concerned, we're just following Jesus again. He's going from here to there like He does every other day. Let's go with Him. Let's see what He does. This is going to be a great time. This is going to be fun. We're probably going to see a miracle. Maybe we'll get a free feed. It's going to be awesome. And then all of a sudden, Luke 14, out of nowhere, Jesus turns around and says, Hey, if you don't hate your parents and your family, you can't be my disciple. Like out of nowhere. Just put yourself right in that moment. That would have shocked them. Jesus has never acted like this before. He's never said anything unkind. He's never said anything uh, in, in a crowd context like that. And out of nowhere, we wouldn't even do anything to him. We were just, we were just following along behind him. And he's just turned around and said, unless you hate your family, you can't follow me. And then he says, unless you're prepared to pick up your cross and carry it, you can't be my disciples. It's like, what? Did Jesus get up on the wrong side of the bed this morning? Like, what is going on? And then he tells a story about, you know, budgeting before you build a house or a building and making sure you've got enough money. And then he says, in the same way, you've got to count the cost before you decide to follow me. In fact, you can't follow me unless you give away everything you have. What's happened there? 
Why would he do that? Do you know what I think it is? I'm just speculating because it doesn't say in the Bible, but I just wonder if Jesus in that moment was just walking along, hearing people chattering and laughing and talking behind him and what's Jesus going to do next? And, you know, what's he going to multiply this time for food? Did anyone bring anything better than fish and bread? We should have brought some KFC. You can multiply that. And, And he's hearing all of this chatter and something inside of him just goes, you know what, guys, you don't know what you're signing up for. And in that moment, he turns around knowing that his crucifixion is coming, knowing that his sheep are going to be scattered, knowing that the vast majority of people following him are fair-weather followers, knowing that the vast majority of people following him are following him for the show. They enjoy seeing what Jesus does. Maybe they're following for the food. If we follow Jesus, he's going to feed us miraculously and we won't have to worry about sorting ourselves out. Maybe they're following because it's just a great vibe and all their friends are following him and so they're following him as well. And Jesus just goes, guys, this is not okay. And he turns around and he says, hey, if you actually want to follow me, it will cost you everything. It will cost you your relationships. You're going to have to lay down your pride. And he said, everything you have, unless you have the mindset that everything you own is not yours, you can't follow me. And I think that Jesus, in that moment, he was like, guys, there is a time coming where the rubber is going to meet the road. And you're going to find out that you haven't built your house on solid ground. You've built it on the sand. And when the storm comes and the persecution comes, you're just going to get blown away. And here's what I felt like God said to me during the week. He said, I want you to say that again because there is a time coming. There is a test coming. We're on the cusp of the greatest move of God that the world has ever seen. And you better believe that there will be a reaction to that. I think that we are coming into a season. I was talking to a pastor on Friday and he was sharing with me a podcast that he'd listened to by a a very well-known Christian strategist, church strategist who gives advice you know, all around the place. And this church strategist said that when you look at all of the metrics available to us, and he's talking about America, but we're pretty close to the States. When you look at all of the metrics available to us, he said society and culture in America is now closer to pagan Rome than it is to our historical Christian roots. It has shifted so far that it has more in common with the environment that Jesus was living in than it does with our Christian roots. Uh, And then we talked about another stat he'd read where he said, look, in its heyday, America identified up to 80% Christians. It was a Christian nation. He said, New Zealand has never got above sort of 20 or 30% at its peak. And so you could even argue that Christian, uh, New Zealand's never been a Christian nation. Well, this is what I felt like God said. I felt like God said, hey, there is, you are about to enter a new season And in the past, up until this point, you could get away with having your cake and eating it too. Because there was a certain alignment between culture and Christianity. But that alignment is not there anymore. And you are entering a season where you will have to choose between following Jesus Christ or prioritizing your existing relationships. Because following Jesus Christ, following the Word of God, following what God says 
is going to become so radically unpopular that you will lose friends. Potentially you'll lose family members. He said, we're coming to a time where you will have to be prepared to lay down your life because what I ask you to do is so dramatically different from what everybody else is doing. And he said, you're coming into a season where you have to be prepared to give him everything you have. Surrender it to him and say, look, God, every, everything I have, every resource I have available to me is, is for you. And I felt like he said, I want you to share that with the church on Sunday. And I was like, well, that's going to go down well, God. But all I can say is that I'm in this as well. This is not me saying, hey, I have it all together. You guys suck. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying all of us are in this same boat. And I was going to say it's an invitation from him, but I don't think it is. Let's drop that language. This is what God is telling us. This is what Jesus said. You read Luke chapter 14. There's no hint of like, hey, this is optional. Jesus didn't say, hey, I'm inviting you to be my disciples. He said, if you want to be my disciple, this is the deal. This is the deal. And like I said last Sunday, if that's not something that we want to do, then I think it's worthwhile stepping back and going, well, what am I doing here? Better things to do maybe on a Sunday morning, on a sunny day, if you don't actually want to be a disciple of Jesus Christ. I think there's a big difference, and I touched on this last Sunday. There's a big difference between, on a ch- in church on a Sunday, preaching Christianity and preaching Christian values. Who's heard of VeggieTales? VeggieTales is awesome. I love VeggieTales. I still remember the first ever episode I watched. I was at my grand's house, and I'm not sure why I was there, but our whole family was there. A VeggieTales episode came on, and Larry the Cucumber was on a psychiatrist's couch talking about his lips. And I, I laughed so hard that I cried. That was just hilarious. And I will periodically break into, you know, where is my hairbrush and all that kind of stuff that Larry the Tomato sings. The guy that invented VeggieTales is a man called Phil Vischer. And he invented VeggieTales and he developed VeggieTales and he voiced a lot of the characters and he wrote the scripts. And then the business kind of grew too big. They made some bad decisions. They got in trouble. They got sued by another company. And he ended up going bankrupt and losing everything. VeggieTales are still on TV, but he's got nothing to do with it. He lost the rights. He lost the creative input. And I just I read an interview with him the other day and he was reflecting on the 10 years that he was involved with VeggieTales. And he said this, and I thought it was fascinating. He said, I realize now, looking back, he said that there is a big difference between teaching children Christian values and teaching children about Christ. You can teach people to be kind and to be patient and to be generous, but that's not the gospel. The gospel is Jesus Christ crucified. And he said, I, I look back on those 10 years with regret because I didn't teach young children about Jesus Christ. I just taught them how to be a nice person. And sometimes I wonder if we fall into that trap in church 
we just focus. We, I think a lot of churches sometimes are nothing more than just behavioral modification units. You know, people come in, they're not Christian. We're like, hey, that's okay. God loves you in your sin. That's fine. Like just, you know, it doesn't matter what you did. doesn't matter what you're doing. Like God loves you. That's, that's no problem. Like come and become a Christian. And then they come in and they give their heart to God. And we're like, whoa, now you have to be perfect. It's messed up. You look at the disciples, man, they're a hilarious bunch of imperfect Muppets. But they followed Jesus. And at one point they pulled him aside because they were concerned by what he was saying. And they said, Jesus, we, we have left everything to follow you. And Jesus said, man, you, don't you worry. You will be well looked after. And that's where I want to finish it this morning. I want to encourage you. It's scary, this idea that I have to give God everything. But he's saying, don't worry, you will be well looked after. I, I, I desperately want to be a part of a church that is filled with people that are on fire. Forget leading. I just want to be a part of something significant. I don't want to just come to church on a Sunday and sing some songs and make a few good points about something and then go home. What's that verse that Jesus said? Whoever holds on to their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. I just want to be a part of a group of people that are just sold out for Jesus. I said to God, like, why, why are you wanting us to focus so much on this discipleship thing? And uh, he said, because you need to get it right so that you can disciple people. And that's what we're we're moving into. And again, I don't know, it could be five years away, it could be 10 years away, it could be 20 years away, it could be next week. All I know is that there are things happening around the world that haven't happened for a long time. And I don't think, I'm, maybe it's because I have a soft spot for young adults because I am one, but um, all of you that laughed, that's mean. Do you guys, do you guys know you get older, but you still feel young? Do you guys notice that? What's that about? I still feel as young as I used to be, except smarter. Hey, John. I mean, John is young. He bikes everywhere. He's fitter than anybody here, probably. But young people in particular, I don't know what's going on in the world today, but it is, the world has lost its mind and older people that can remember what it was like, they have context. So they can go, I can tell the world's lost its mind because I remember what it was like when it was sane. But young people, you're growing up in this culture that's just, you don't have any, uh, for lack of a better word, what's that, what's that word, Ash, when you're doing an experiment and you have like, like a control group? You've got no control group as young people to go, yeah, the world's messed up, but I remember back in the 70s, whatever it might be, it's probably messed up in the 70s actually. 
And so I just want to say to you young people, I think you're going to have to make a decision and you're going to have to be bolder and louder and stronger and braver and firmer than perhaps previous generations have had to be. Because the previous generations, I was talking to a pastor during the week and he said, look, he said, mate, he's been pastoring for 10 years. He said, even the last two or three years are significantly harder than the previous seven because of what the world is saying about how we should live our life. I do not envy young people having to grow up, go to university, surround themselves with all the people that think the way it is. It's crazy. You will not survive unless you are connected to the source, which is Jesus Christ. Jesus said in Matthew 28, He said, Go and make disciples. Does that sound like a suggestion, an invitation, a thought for you to mull over and decide whether you get on board with? Or does that sound pretty black and white? Go and make disciples. And in case you're unsure how to do that, He says, You teach them to obey everything. I have commanded. I'll finish with this. I might have said it a few times. This is the last thing for sure. This is another thing that God said during the week. He said, the key to discipleship is obedience. And the key to obedience is humility. I think that the church has lost a little bit of the fear and awe of God. Like He's great, He's loving, He's kind, He's compassionate, He's all of these things. But He's also the creator of the universe, powerful, beyond your wildest imagines powerful. Phenomenal cosmic powers. Everybody living in space. It's an inappropriate quote from Aladdin. Can't come to this church and not get in a a Disney quote every now and again. I, I think sometimes we just, we fail to recognize that when God says, hey, do this, he's not, it's not me coming along and being like, hey, here's a good idea. Why don't you try this? It's not one of your mates. It's the creator of the universe saying, I am telling you to do this. Give that money. There's no debate. Just do it. Go talk to that person. I don't want an argument. Just do it. I think it might have been even Steve McCracken that said, you know, God said to Moses, I want you to do this. And Moses was like, I don't know if I want to do it. And at the end of it, God was like, you know what? I'm just going to kill him. Just that's, that's how ticked off I'm now. I'm just going to like, and I'm reading into that. Well, I'm just saying like, God is big. And when he says, hey, if you want to follow me, you've got to do this and you've got to do this and you've got to do this. Don't think for a second that there's some kind of work around, some kind of middle ground have a foot in both camps, go to church on Sunday and then I'll live my life during the week. Don't. I just save you a lot of heartache and pain and time. Just pick one. What did Jesus say? I'd rather you were hot or cold. 
lukewarm just tastes gross. All right. I think I've said everything that God told me during the week. He just said right then, he just said, tell them I love them. Man, God, it's so clear. Tell them I love them. Everything I've said, I've said because he wants you. He loves you. He desires you. You are the apple of his eye. Died on a cross for you. It's wild. All right, I'm going to leave it there. What we'll do is we're going to, we're just going to, sing a song you can just do what you want to do you can sit there and reflect you can sing if you want to sing what's that no I want to do that one yeah let's do it I know you're going to have to change keys how is it Shalom, shalom. Big peace to you. A lot of what I said today is just a repeat of last Sunday. But I repeated it because I felt strongly that God wanted us to receive it with the weight that it deserves. So as we sing this next song, I want you to just allow the weight to rest on you the the solemnness even of what we're talking about I know it's not a normal Sunday morning, it's not a three point message on how to make your relationships better or a four point message on how to steward finance as well or whatever it might be is Denise still alive? she's alright so the band's going to lead us in this song and, and you just do what you want to do. If you want to stand and sing, stand and sing. If you want to sit there quietly and not do anything, that is fine too.